Welcome to the A Catholic Life Podcast. I am Matthew, the author of A Catholic Life, welcoming you to episode 47 of the A Catholic Life Podcast. In today's episode on the Most Holy Families Feast Day, I address the following topics. First, the Feast of the Most Holy Family and the importance of consecration to the Holy Family, especially pertinent for those who are listening who have children at home. Secondly, the forgotten season of Epiphany Tide what we are currently in, and unfortunately, what we have lost. And lastly, the importance to sanctify the new year by going deeper liturgically. I'll share more on this in regards to going deeper in the liturgical year based off of a recent article I wrote for 1 Peter 5. But before we go into these topics, I'd like to stop and thank the sponsor for today's episode. This episode is sponsored by CatechismClass.com. CatechismClass.com is the leader in online Catholic catechism classes, offering everything from online children's K-12 programs, RCIA classes for adults, adult continuing education, so those adults, no matter their age and background and how many years of education in the faith they've had, can access great information on the Most Holy Roman Catholic Faith, along with marriage preparation courses, baptismal preparation classes, confirmation prep, quinceanera prep, catechist training courses, and so much more. It is never too late to study the fullness of the Catholic faith, and catechismclass.com is the gold standard in authentic Catholic faith formation online. Please check them out and take your faith formation seriously this year, as even lifelong Catholics need to spend time studying the faith each and every week. And catechismclass.com is the way to find uh, an affordable, convenient, and complete method of studying the faith as part of your New Year's resolution. On to the first topic of today's episode— I'd like to go over today the Feast of the Most Holy Family, as well as the importance of consecration to the Holy Family. Now, the Feast of the Holy Family is of recent origin. In 1663, uh, there was a woman, Barbara de Hellehost, who founded at Montreal the Association of the Holy Family. This devotion soon spread, and in the year 1893, Pope Leo XIII expressed his approval of a feast under this title and himself composed part of the office. The feast was welcomed by succeeding pontiffs as an efficacious means for bringing home to the Christian people the example of the Holy Family at Nazareth, and by the restoration of the true spirit of family life stemming, in some measure, the evils of present-day society. These motives led Pope Benedict XV to insert the feast in the universal calendar, and from 1921, it has been fixed to this present Sunday. Now, the this current Sunday is in the 1962 calendar known as the Sunday after Epiphany. In the, in the pre-1955 calendar, it is Sunday within the octave of the Epiphany, or January 12th if January 13th falls on a Sunday. So, the exact uh, date and naming of this particular Sunday can differ a little bit. What's important, though, is not to get caught up in some of those particulars, but to understand this feast is of relatively recent origin. 
and it was inserted into the universal calendar of the church only in 1921. So we're talking about only, you know, a little over 100 years now. And I once heard a priest give a sermon regarding the Feast of the Holy Family, and he talked about the importance, of course, of consecrating our children uh, to the Holy Family, of instilling them in them virtue, to showing them how to live out the Catholic faith very concretely and devoutly. But then he did say he felt there was something missing from this feast because we can always look to our Lord, we can look to our Lady, and we look to St. Joseph as the model. And as sometimes we may feel like that they're perfect and we can never aspire for our families to be that holy. So he mentioned how we should not get dismayed about this. We should try to grow ever closer in holiness to the Holy Family and be okay with not reaching that that same heights of sanctity, obviously, because our Lord and Our Lady were conceived without any sin. Of course, they lived their whole lives without sin uh, for different reasons, but they're completely sinless. And it's believed that St. Joseph is in heaven with his body as well. So uh, all three bodies are right now in heaven as well. Of course, we know for, for a fact our Lord is, and we know for a fact our Lady is, and it's piously believed St. Joseph is as well. But we shouldn't get too hung up on that. And he also mentioned, that is this priest in the sermon, talked about the importance of using this day to talk about the evils of artificial contraceptions and how we must fight for the sanctity of the family, how Our Lady and various apparitions warn that the attacks of the devil towards the end of time will be against marriage and the family life. So there's so much that can be said about safeguarding sanctity in the family, purity in the family, letting it be a great school of virtue. So if anybody is listening and you have children at home, or even if your parents have fallen away from the faith and you're an adult yourself, or if your adult children have fallen away, it's so important that we reach out to those in our family to help sanctify those who we have a connection with here on earth. And to this end, in the show notes, in the article regarding the Feast of the Holy Family, I have the propers for today's feast day, but then at the bottom is a prayer of consecration to the Holy Family. And I would encourage everybody to, to take that, uh, print it out, or say it today yourself and or with your family. Of course, with your family would be even better. It is in honor of the Holy Family. Now on to the next topic. I'd like to discuss the forgotten season of Epiphany Tide. We are currently in Epiphany Tide, and of all the seasons that the modern Catholic calendar has neglected to properly retain and celebrate, Epiphany Tide has, like Ascension Tide, unfortunately fallen by the wayside. But to those Catholics committed to the sacred traditions of the past, Epiphany Tide hold a special length of time. Instead of having Christmas Tide turn into some oddly named ordinary time, Traditional Catholics will celebrate Christmas Tide, Epiphany Tide, Septuagesima, and then finally begin the penance of Lent. So, what exactly is Epiphany Tide, and what customs do traditional Catholics observe during this time? Now, as I talk about in the article regarding Epiphany Tide and regarding the Epiphany itself, the Feast of the Epiphany, as I mentioned in last week's episode, used to be a holy day of obligation in America. It's still uh, regarded as a holy day of obligation in some parts of the world. But the Feast of the Epiphany is a very important feast day. In fact, if you look at the way octaves were ranked for the first half of the 20th century, you had privileged octaves, common octaves, and simple octaves. Privileged, of course, had the highest rank. And of those, you had privilege of the first order, of the second order, and of the third order. 
Now, the octave of the Epiphany ranks even higher than the octave of Christmas because it is an octave of the second order, and Christmas is only an octave of the third order. This is what Dom Guéranger says regarding the octave of the Epiphany. Quote, A solemnity of such importance as the Epiphany could not be without an octave. The only octaves during the year that are superior to this of the Epiphany are those of Pentecost and Easter. It has a privilege which the octave of Christmas has not. For no feast may be kept during the octave of the Epiphany unless it be that of a principal patron, whereas feasts of double and semi-double rite are omitted during the Christmas octave. It would even seem, judging from the ancient sacramentaries, that anciently the two days immediately following the Epiphany were holy days of obligation, as were the Monday and Tuesday of Easter and the Monday and Tuesday of Whitsuntide. The names of the stational churches are given where the clergy and the faithful of Rome assembled on these two days, end quote. These two days had to be holy days of obligation before the decretals of Pope Gregory the Ninth in twelve thirty four, as the two days following Epiphany are not mentioned in his catalog of holy days of obligation, unlike Easter Monday and Easter Tuesday and Pentecost Monday and Pentecost Tuesday. But the point remains that Epiphany Tide has long been a time of a sacred uh, octave for us to honor our Lord's manifestation to the whole world. The Sunday within the octave was up until the reforms of 1955, the Feast of the Holy Family, and Christmas time was reckoned as the 12 days ending on January 5th, that is the Vigil of the Epiphany, followed by Epiphany Tide, which lasts from January 6th to January 13th. The following Sundays until Septuagesima were named as the first Sunday after Epiphany, second Sunday after Epiphany, etc., now, the 1969 destruction of the general Roman calendar defined Christmastide instead as extending from the vigil of Mass of Christmas on the evening of December 24th to the Feast of the Baptism of the Lord, generally the Sunday after January 6th. While sometimes performed, but often neglected in the Novus Ordo, the Feast of the Epiphany is a time for blessing one's home using blessed chalk and holy water, and this traditional tradition has a beautiful rite in the Roman ritual. If you've not already blessed your homes, please ask your priest to bless chalk if you don't already have blessed chalk, and inscribe that blessing over your doors uh, of all entrances to your home. I talked about it in last week's episode, and you can find a link in the show notes in that episode for more information as well as the prayers of that blessing. It is one of the great blessings that should really punctuate our year in life as traditional Catholics. And if you've not grown accustomed to doing it, this is a great time. The new year is a great time to take your faith more seriously, to really go deeper, to say, what are the traditions and the customs that my forefathers have for so long, and how can I incorporate them in my family, especially if I've not already done so? That is my recommendation for everybody. Let's not neglect this season, but give it its own due observance. After all, those of us praying the older bravery will find much beauty in the hymns and antiphons of this time. Yet unfortunately, in 1955, this ancient octave was abolished. And that's why in the 1962 Missal, you'll find that these are simply ferias during Epiphany Tide. There are not days within the octave of the Epiphany. Now, of course, if no other feast is kept, a priest can and certainly may, and I would say even should, who's saying the 1962 Missal, offer a votive mass of the Epiphany on these days. So that way we can continue the spirituality of the Feast of the Epiphany throughout this octave. Now, the end of the octave occurs on January 13th, the octave day of the Epiphany. 
But before I'll talk about that, there's just one saint that also occurs during this week. That is Pope St. Hygienius, who is commemorated on January 11th in the pre-55 calendar. He was Pope from the year 139 to 140, so he had a short reign. He was born in Athens, Greece, and during his papacy determined the different prerogatives of the clergy and defined the grades of the ecclesiastical hierarchy. He also started the practice of including godparents at baptisms to assist the newly born during his Christian life. So godparents go back to around the year 140 A.D. He also decreed that all churches are to be consecrated. And I've talked about the importance of church consecrations before, how it's not just a simple blessing, but consecrations are different, just like how we consecrate the chalice, we consecrate the altar, we consecrate the church. These are different than normal blessings of sacramentals. And it is believed that Pope St. Hygienius was a martyr under the persecutions of Marcus Aurelius. January 13th, as I mentioned a moment ago, is the octave day of the Epiphany. Now, according to the 1962 calendar, January 13th is called the commemoration of the baptism of the Lord. However, according to the more traditional pre-55 calendar, it is the octave day of the Epiphany. In fact, in the 1962 calendar, if January 13th falls on a Sunday, the Feast of the Holy Family is celebrated in place of the octave day, which is extremely strange, and a rupture with the conclusion of this traditional octave. In such case, the commemoration of Christ's baptism is completely omitted for that year. Thankfully, those, for those of us who pray the pre-55 breviary, January 13th is kept as the octave day, even when it falls on a Sunday. And in such years, the Feast of the Holy Family is moved to the day before. Now, as I mentioned, the Epiphany is a privileged octave of the second class, as is the octave of Corpus Christi. We would do well this January 13th to particularly call to mind the prayers of Epiphany Tide and to really remember them and honor them this upcoming week on January 13th. Now, the last topic I'd like to discuss in this episode is regarding a recent article that I wrote for 1 Peter 5 on how to live more liturgically each and every new year. With the new year comes another opportunity to go deeper into the church's liturgy. And while those of us who are new to tradition are often amazed at the additional saints days in the church's sanctoral cycle and are very surprised with all these forgotten seasons like Septuagesima or Epiphany Tide or Ascension Tide, but even traditionalists can go deeper each and every year. For instance, praying the votive mass text each week, reading the propers for the masses in some places, reading the daily martyrology are just some of the ways we can go deeper this year. All of these will help us live more liturgically. Now, the liturgical year is a harmonious interplay of feasts and fasts woven into both the temporal and sanctoral cycles that truly divine, define the rhythm and the rhyme of Catholic life. So we have the proper of the seasons or the temporal cycle, and we have the sanctoral cycle as well. That is also called the proper of the saints, which is the annual cycle of feast days, not necessarily connected with the seasons. The base level of living a Catholic liturgical life is assisting at the holy sacrifice of the mass and praying the prayers and living the feasts and fasts of the day, which the church is liturgically keeping. Even if you're not assisting at Mass, we can and should pray the Church's liturgical prayers, whether that be at home in the form of a Misa Sica or by praying the Divine Office or the Little Office of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Now, step one of going deeper is going from the Novus Ordo calendar to the traditional calendar of 1962. 
even though many changes occurred after Vatican II, they pale in comparison to the changes made immediately after it. With the introduction of the Novus Ordo, more than 300 saints were removed from the general calendar. And uh, that was not the only change. Other changes included, of course, removing Septuagesima entirely, thus continuing the use of the Alleluia until last Wednesday, eliminating the requirement to veil statues and images during Passion Tide, replacing time after Epiphany and time after Pentecost with the strangely named ordinary time season that is split in half and is seemingly unrelated to the liturgical year. Such a change vastly split the three cycles and seven season temporal cycle that was around for centuries. And additionally, the moving of number of temporal feast days, like the Feast of Christ the King from the last Sunday of October to the final Sunday before Advent, and the Feast of the Holy Family from the Sunday after January 6th to the Sunday in the octave of Christmas. But we can go deeper. We can go deeper than just going to the 1962 Missal. And the next layer is to transition, at least in our own personal devotional lives, to the pre-1955 calendar. The year 1955 saw some of the most significant changes to the Church's liturgy since the Council of Trent. Pope Pius XII abolished 15 octaves in addition to the octave for the dedication of the Church, and particular octaves for patrons of various religious orders, countries, and dioceses. He abolished roughly half of all vigils, leading to the removal of the liturgical vigils of the Immaculate Conception, of the Epiphany, of all saints, and of all the apostles except saints Peter and Paul. Thus, the total number of liturgical vigils was reduced to seven. These vast changes affected both the temporal and sanctoral cycles. We, though, even in our own personal devotional lives at home, can keep that pre-55 calendar, recall to mind these forgotten feast days and these forgotten seasons and vigils, and live them out. We don't have to have the priest saying a pre-55 mass for us to necessarily do so. But we can go deeper still. Even in the Roman Rite itself, various dioceses, countries, and religious orders keep some different feast days. For instance, there's a fascinating list of movable masses related to our Lord's Passion that are kept in some places and by some religious orders, but not on the Church's universal calendar. So, for instance, the prayer, the Feast of the Prayer of Christ, which is Tuesday after Septuagesima, was kept by the Dominicans. The commemoration of the Passion of Christ Tuesday after Sexagesima was a Passionist feast. We also have the Feast of the Reparation of Insults Offered to the Most Holy Sacrament on Thursday after Sexuagesima, and the list goes on. I would also recommend, though, going a step deeper still, and each weekday with no feast associated without the year, which is a ferial day, we uh, should know that the priest generally offers the Mass of the previous Sunday, or he may offer a votive Mass of his choice. He may choose to follow the devotion attributed to that day of the week. For instance, on a ferial Wednesday, he may offer a votive Mass of St. Joseph, since Wednesdays are traditionally devoted to St. Joseph. Or he may offer a votive Mass of Our Lady. He may offer a votive Mass in honor of really any saint. And he can also offer, um, generally, exceptions aside, a requiem Mass. In our own lives, we might add to our morning prayers the collects from these various votive Masses found in our hand missiles. So when In so doing, we can better honor the Holy Angels each Tuesday, or St. Joseph each Wednesday, or the institution of the Holy Eucharist and the priesthood on Thursdays, or commemorate our Lord's Passion on Fridays. We may also want to uh, read from the daily Martyrology. The Martyrology is the official liturgical book that contains a list of saints whose feasts are celebrated throughout the liturgical year, and it usually includes a brief account of their lives, and in the case of martyrs, the circumstances of their death. 
It's traditionally prayed during the canonical hour of prime, but we can go uh, deeper by simply picking up a copy of the pre-1955 martyrology in English and reading from it each day. You'll be amazed at the amount of uh, saints who triumph over cruelty and torture, and you may even be surprised to see when all the Old Testament prophets are honored as saints throughout the year. We can also as well live out traditional Catholic customs. Beyond assisting at Mass and praying the Divine Office, we should find that our heritage is underscored by authentic Catholic culture in the form of Catholic customs. Catholic culture is built on fasting periods, assisting at processions, having various items blessed at different parts of the year, etc. It features days of festivity like Martimas and promotes family time and charitable works like visits to grandparents on Easter Monday, which is the custom. It's replete with food customs to celebrate the end of fasting periods and filled with special devotions during periods of penance. This is our heritage, and this was the topic of my book, Restoring Lost Customs to Christendom. I hope if you haven't obtained a copy, that you'll find a link to it in the show notes and consider purchasing the paperback, the Kindle, or, or just a PDF of it, and live out those customs. And finally, uh, considering all of this, let us make, if we've not already, Catholic resolutions. These New Year's resolutions are not centered on losing weight or eating more vegetables or securing a raise. These are resolutions that we need to make to further our own spiritual health. And I have in that article a list of suggestions that you can read through, but they include praying the rosary every day if you're out of the habit, praying parts of the divine office, saying a prayer for the poor souls in purgatory every day, attending at least one mass extra each week, making it a habit to go to confession every two weeks, wearing the brown scapular if you don't already do so, and making sure you've been traditionally enrolled, as well as fulfilling the first Friday and the first Saturday devotion as well as studying the faith more in great programs like those by catechismclass.com or by willingly offering up additional days of penance like fasting on the vigils of the apostles and all 40 days of Lent fasting strictly and observing the 40 days of fast up to Christmas, etc. I hope that our Lord will grant us all a most blessed New Year as we seek to go deeper into the church's liturgical life, and I pray that you'll find the time to read that article of mine and share what you think uh, and what you learn with others so that we can help build up everybody to live a most holy life this new year. May God grant you a most blessed week. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Please subscribe to this podcast in Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and any other platform. Even if you listen to it in the embedded player on the Acathic Life website, please look it up on various podcast services and subscribe to it and give it a five-star rating so we can reach more people. Above all, let us also strive for greater holiness this and every other week. Thank you again. Ad maiorum Dei Gloria. Quid olis peccata